Also, every that you give to us, we thank you for your generosity in our lives. Give us margin. Give us wisdom, Lord. We know finances can be a matter of strain and stress. So we just pray for folks that are really struggling right now, for your provision, for your grace. And let us enter into the joy of giving. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're doing a study in the book of Romans. We're in Romans chapter 1. We did, the, we did verses 18 to 23 last week. And um, so we're going to finish that chapter, but we need to loop those verses back in. But there was this just wonderful topic that's introduced in the book of Romans, and it's the topic of wrath. Oh, wrath. Right? Sounds heavy, giant, powerful, overwhelming. But what we're going to see in this passage that... Wrath, it's not what you think, right? You think of wrath of flaming and burning and the book of Revelation, and that is for sure one kind of wrath. But that's not what we're seeing in this book, this chapter one. There's another kind of wrath that's just sort of this ongoing present reality that we exist in and our world exists in. And so I'm going to give us an illustration that I think might help today. If you can just keep this illustration in your mind, throughout our time together, I think it might help. So I want you to think of your life as if you're on a car ride with God. He's driving, you're in the passenger seat. You make up whatever car you want it to be, right? If you're kind of a minivan person, that's great. If you're a sports car person, that's great. It doesn't really matter the car. The point is, God's driving, and you're in the passenger seat. Okay, he's made you. He's created you. He's given you a life at this moment in time. And he's driving. And he's taking you down roads, and there's scenic roads, and there's city roads. And, and uh, he turns over here, and you've got out your app. And you're like, oh, but Dairy Queen is this exit. Can we go to Dairy Queen? We didn't go to Dairy Queen. And you start to go, but I want to go see this other part of town. But God didn't turn down that road. And, and what if we went over here? And what if we went to the mountain? And what if we went to the Grand Canyon? And what if, and you start to have ideas about where this trip should go, but God's going down some different roads and he's taking you different places. And at some point, you start to go, you know what? Hey, I want to drive. I want, I want to decide. I want to navigate. Right? Being Siri is not enough. I want to be in the driver's seat. And so there's a point when we say to God, you know what, I want to take control of this car called my life. I want the driver's seat. I don't like where you're going. I don't like the direction. I want to call the shots. I want to pick the exits. I want to choose. And so what do you think, what would you imagine God would say to you in that moment when you say, let's trade seats, or actually I'm just going to drop you off and take over? What, what would we imagine he'd say, Right? Well, then just start walking, right? Wouldn't that be what you'd imagine? Well, just, if you don't like the way I'm going, you can walk. Right? Hit it. I don't care. That's what we could imagine, because maybe that's what your parent might say if you said that to them. Hey, I want to drive. <laughs> you can walk. You can take the bus. You can ride your bike. But that isn't what we find. That's not what Romans chapter 1 describes when we say to God, I'd like to drive the car of my own life. He doesn't say, well, then get out. He doesn't say, that's it. You're on your own. He just hands you the keys. Okay. Go ahead. 
You can drive. I'll get out and go wherever you want. Now that seems like the thing you want. But that's actually what we're going to see is called the wrath of God. He just gives you the keys. Go down whatever road you want to go down. Crash into whatever thing you might crash into. Get lost in any back alley you might want to get lost in. And I'm not in the car anymore. So I can't fix it. I can't stop it. I can't get you out of that jam because I'm out of the car. But you go ahead. That's actually what the wrath of God is described as. I'll get out. You drive wherever you want to drive. And wherever you go and whatever you run into, that's up to you. I'm out of the car. And so I want you to keep that image in mind today. It's not what we think. It's not God striking you dead with a lightning bolt the moment you ask for the keys. It's not him ripping the battery out of the car and saying, good luck. He just gives it to you. Okay. Go your way. So that's what what's, we're going to review a little bit what we saw last week because it ties in. But um, that's the ongoing present reality of the wrath of God. He just continues to let you go your own way and do your own thing. And wherever that takes you is where it takes you. And what you will find is that life and sin itself will have its way with you. Because you're driving your own car. So let's just pull in a little bit of last week because it doesn't make sense if we don't pull it together, the whole passage. But I want you to keep that in mind that this whole thing is the idea of you are driving your own car and God's letting you do it. So last week we saw this idea that God's wrath was revealed because... God's revelation was rejected. That was verses 18 to 23. So that was answering, why does God do it? Why does God give you the keys? Why or why? So let's read that real quick, and then we'll get into today's passage. So if we go to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 to 23, I'll read it. You can follow along there. Romans 1, 18 to 23. Sorry, bookmark's falling out here. Okay. He says, for the wrath of God is revealed... From heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. So that we saw that quickly last week. The ungodliness is living as if God is not there. He doesn't exist. You're not there. You're not in my car. You're out. And unrighteousness. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. So this is telling us this is a general revelation. God has generally revealed himself in creation. We looked last week, we talked about macro level, we talked about whales and mountains, and you can go micro level, we talked about the amazing encoding in every single cell of your body, and it points to a creator, to a designer. God's revealed his power, his wisdom. He hasn't revealed everything, but there is a general ability to know that God is there and that he is powerful. He says, and no one has an excuse to say, well, I didn't know. Because you live under the same sun that he made, and you eat, breathe the air that he does, and you live on the planet that he put in the perfect spot to maintain human life. No one can say, you know, I, could, I couldn't tell. No, everyone can tell. 
It says, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. I know you're there, but I'm not going to honor you. I'm not going to respect you. In fact, I'd like you to get out of the car. Right? Just keep that image in your mind. Get out of the car. I'm not thankful, not only that you gave, made me and gave me a car. No, get out. It says, they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So that was last week's idea, that God has revealed himself generally in creation, and the wrath of God comes when people say, yeah, I see it, but I don't care, and I don't want to know, and I don't want you to drive the car. I want my own car. And he says, okay. And says they've exchanged the truth about God for a lie. I'm going to worship creatures. I'm going to worship my own, my own desires, my own wants. And so that's why God's wrath is revealed. Because people reject him. That's why. This week we're going to, well, what is the wrath? Not why is it there, but what is it? And so here's what we're going to see. When we trade out God, we are given to the worst of ourselves. When we trade out God, we say, I don't want you, I'm exchanging you for something else, then we're given over the worst of ourselves, and you can drive that car down every terrible road you want to go down. That's the idea. You're given to the worst possibility. So that's, this is going to be what the wrath of God is. Why is because there's a rejection. We don't honor God as God, and we're not giving him, him thanks. But what is it to be handed over? What is it when he gives you the keys? That's what we're going to see. It's the worst of ourselves. So let's keep going and reading this passage here. Verses 24 to 32. 24 to 32. Listen for a repeating word three times. A repeating phrase three times. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, Foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Did you catch the repeating word? Given over, given up, you might say, handed over. That's the repeating word. So the wrath of God is being given over. Okay, take the keys. Take the car. You've exchanged me. You've traded me out. You don't want me as God. You're not thankful that I made you. 
I don't, so I'm trading, I'm trading you out. God, I'm trading you out. I want the seat. I want the keys. And God says, okay. Three times he says it. Okay, you see it in verse 24. Therefore, God gave them up. The word is hand over. It's the same word when they handed Jesus over to Pontius Pilate. I'm taking you from here and giving you to there. It's to hand something over. Turn it. I, so God hands you over from me driving the car to you driving the car. See it in verse 26. God gave them up. Gives them, Okay. Same word. And then you saw it in verse 28. Did I skip one? I think I put the wrong one in. A little user error there. Okay. Oh, no, it's in there. I just didn't highlight it. God gave them up in verse 28. So the point was three times. The wrath of God is God just saying, okay, I'm going to give you over. And I put it, you know, when I'm doing these messages, I'm trying to think of things that will um, capture the whole idea. So here it is. Keep that idea. God's given you the keys to the car, to your life. If you don't want him driving, okay, go ahead. So what, what did I, the word I came up with to capture that is when we trade out God, we're given over to the worst of ourselves. The worst places we could go. The worst thoughts we have. It doesn't maybe start with that, but that's where it goes. To the worst of ourselves, The worst roads we could choose. That's where it starts. So when we say, no thank you God, I'm in control. He, the first one, it says he gave them up the lust of their hearts to impurity. Okay, this isn't, I just choose not to bathe, okay? We're not talking about that kind of impurity. We've got, you know, I get that. I've got some teenage boys, and one night I have to take him to practice the next day, so in the evening he puts his football gear in my car, and then in the morning when I get in the car, it's very impure, okay? That's not the impurity I'm talking about, though it is unpleasant, it's, it is a sexual word here. It's clearly sexual impurity. That's what the word means. Not just something that's dirty. It's the dishonoring of their bodies. It's giving over to sexual lusts. That's the first thing. And it seems, and you can study religions and cultures, but sex and sexuality is always corrupted. All the idolatry worship of Israel had that flavor in it. There was always some kind of sexual corruption. And what I find interesting, this isn't just today. Very early on in the story of humanity, we find this. We find this. So again, there in Romans one twenty-five, we see the reason why they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. We don't want you. We do our own way. We're going to worship humans or creatures or ourselves. So I want us to see this way, way back in the, in the book of Genesis, chapter 4, we're just a few generations from the first family. You got Adam, you got Eve. They have sons, Cain and Abel. Cain killed his brother Abel. And so they follow this line here in Genesis 4. It says, 4.17, Cain knew his wife and she conceived and bore Enoch. When he built a city, he called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. I just want you to see these generations. To Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujahel. And Mahujahel fathered Methushalel. And some names we don't care about. Anyways, then we get to this guy Lamech, because I can pronounce that one. Lamech. So we're just a few generations, right, from Adam and Eve. Not very far down the line. 
And all of a sudden, you see Lamech go, he took two wives. Like, you know what, I'm going to have two of these. And it says, the name of one was Adah, and the name of the other, Zillah. And then you go down a couple more verses to 23, and Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zillah, hear my voice, you wives of Lamech. Listen to what I say. I have killed a man for wounding me and a young man for striking me. I don't know if that was put in a nice anniversary card. A Valentine's card. Here, I want you to listen to me. Roses are red. I've killed some people. Don't mess with me. Right? I just want to see in a very short time in history that people immediately start corrupting things. And this guy is killing people, and he's threatening his wives. And he's like, I might as well have two wives. How do you think they were treated? How do you think they were viewed? How do you think uh, their sexuality was taken care of and honored? It just couldn't have been. And when we think about this, from that time to now, how much pain and shame in our world comes from some kind of sexual sin? I mean, it's overwhelming. We all have a story. We could all tell a story of how that happens. And see, that's the first thing in that being handed over, we become, it becomes dishonorable passions. And, and it just goes there. Because instead of it being something beautiful and something God made, it becomes something selfish and self-seeking. And any, any kind of sexual addiction has a downward spiral. People start at one level of viewing pornography, and it goes down a spiral to abusive things and prostitution. It, it just turns and it's a, it's a cycle of pain and hurt and selfishness. And if I go down this road and this is going to work for me and it gets worse, or someone does things to you and so you begin to store up shame and wounds, this is not what happens when God's driving the car. That in our world, in our culture, is when he says, okay, I'm handing you over to the worst part of yourselves and the worst part of ourselves is selfish abusive or predatory or self-seeking not self-giving it's self-serving and it causes pain that's the first handing over to the worst of ourselves then it goes deeper right? the next one it says for this reason we're at verse 26 god gave them up to dishonorable passions so something that's dishonorable not good so then we have their women exchange natural relations for those contrary to nature. And again, the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed, by, consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And so this, we, we're going to come back to this a little bit at the end of the sermon, but we really need to hear this. That this is the second part of being handed over is that this is when same-sex and homosexuality enters in. It's not a result of this is a, a loving, okay option for some. God's saying that's what happens when we're turned away from God. It starts with just any kind of sexual problem, heterosexual. And it's important that we hear that it starts there. That it starts there. It's not, this isn't picking on anyone with a same-sex attraction. There's a lot of heterosexual sin. But then it goes here. And what I want us to see that word natural. Con natural and contrary to nature. And some have argued things like, well, whatever's natural, the sin would be going against what's natural to you. 
So if a same-sex attraction is natural to you, then that's a good thing. And so they try to make the Bible say what it doesn't say. There's no part of this where you go, oh, that is a viable, appropriate alternative. It calls it dishonorable. And the word contrary to nature is contrary to the way the thing was made to be used. That's the word, contrary to its origin. That's what it's getting at. Contrary to the design. This is not how it was made to work. So how were we made to work? You see this again in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 18 to 25 describes how God made it. So then when something says this is contrary to how God made it, we can see where the problem is. So in Genesis 2.18, it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So at this time he's created Adam only, and Adam's in the garden. He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him, something like him, something that corresponded to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last. It was just such a joy, like finally, after all these animals, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Before the fall, before sin entered, this is the design God made. He made a man, and he said, I'm going to make something that fits, that corresponds to them. So they were both made in the image of God. They fit. This is suitable. This is beautiful. They were naked and not ashamed. Other than a few odd folks that like to be at the beach naked, this doesn't exist. Or older men at the YMCA, also a strange thing. But... um, we won't go. But the whole idea that you could be in your body naked and not be ashamed, not feel bad about things, not feel uncomfortable, not feeling that things are corrupted somehow. This was the thing God made that was good, that was perfect, that was right, that had no shame. That's what he made. Man and woman, anatomically, it fits together very clearly. This is how they're made. And so when it says to go against that, You're going against the way God made it. You're going against the very design. So that is a part of being handed over. It's not a, this is a good, viable alternative. This is also on the road of moving away from God. So again, here, everyone's going to get dinged here. So please don't hear this as a pick on someone with the same sex attraction. That is not at all what we're doing here. We're picking on everyone. Because we're all going to fall in this that we are in rebellion. The first thing was any kind of sexual dishonoring. Here we see another handing over is moving towards same sex. And he says that's against nature. That's part of being handed over. So there's a penalty. It hurts you. 
right? It hurts you. And then the third one, I'm going to come back around to some of these, but I want to get through all three. The third one, he says they did not see fit to acknowledge God. So he gives you up to a debased mind. Your thinking is changed. The way you think, the way you operate is changed. And then this list is just brutal. (laughs) They're filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness. Well, you've ever really wanted something someone else has or jealous of their thing or their truck or their house or their, their success. Malice is just planning evil, full of envy. It's not fair. They get this. I don't get that. I'm jealous of my sibling. Murder. It's just strife. Just fighting. Deceit. Lying. Right? I remember as a young kid stealing a magnifying glass from my kindergarten class. And then my mom saw me with it. You know, where'd you get that? I don't know, you know. So I stole it and I lied about it. Like, what? That's five, six, I don't know, five. It's right here. It's, this is part of walking away from God. Our thinking changes. Maliciousness. They are gossips. Right? This is in the list. Gossip, that's a struggle. Slanderers, where you speak against other people. Haters of God. We can get to a place where we, we hate God. And we don't want to hear from him. Insolent. You just can't even be talked to. Here's a few in a row. Haughty and boastful. Right? I'm proud. Look at me. Look at me. Inventors of evil. I'm going to come up with a new way to do something. Disobedient to parents. Kids. That's on the list, right? Murder disobedience to parents all of it is our thinking has changed so we're going to do what we're going to do i'm not going to listen to you right foolish faithless heartless ruthless these are all these are all start with the same letter in the original they kind of almost rhyme he's i think paul got going here we do stupid things we don't trust anyone we're heartless you don't care about anyone you become ruthless i'm out for me i'm out for the dollar i'm gonna get you and here though they know god's righteous decree there's a part when we know God's put right and wrong in us. The more you go down the wrong path, the more that voice gets quieter and gets squished. But we know. We know. And you know across cultures, there's not any culture that says it's a good idea to kill your neighbor. Right? They know that. It's in us. We know these things. We know that we're wrong. Inside us, we know that there's evil. And we not only do them, but we give approval to others. Why do we give approval? Because misery loves company, right? Don't you feel better? Well, they're doing the same bad thing, so I feel a little better in that. Let's affirm it. Let's create a social media site about it, and we'll affirm the whole thing. And so this is the worst of ourselves. When you, when, God, when you say, give me the keys, God, and he says, okay, this is where it goes. Everything is corrupted from our sexuality to our relationships to our functioning to our society. It's just a mess. Do I need any proof? Right? Both in your own life and our community, you can see it all. We crash that car constantly. Now, I want to kind of come back to this conversation this is the, the conflict with our, our culture today. Shouldn't I be true to myself? Shouldn't I follow my heart? Shouldn't I want to drive the car? That's the culture says, look within, be you, follow your heart, go where you're going to go. 
And here we're seeing, though, that actually takes you down the road of the wrath of God. And the scripture is very clear. That's the source of the problem. So, again, we have a lot of looking back into Genesis. In Genesis 6, 5, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The world was a mess. So God sends the flood on it and wipes it out. And then when we get to, uh, let's see, I'm going to jump after the flood. God floods and wipes out and destroys all but those in the ark after the flood. And Noah gets out of the boat. It says, then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal, some of every clean bird, and offered a burnt offering on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of a man's heart is evil from his youth. The flood didn't change man's heart. There's still man. He says, I'm not going to curse the ground again. But his heart is still a problem. His heart is still there. And so he promised not to do that. Well, then you jump up all the way similar. I'll do this one quickly. Jesus says the same thing. They came to Jesus and they say, why don't you wash all these pans and pots and dishes according to the traditions? And he basically says, it doesn't matter. Because the pot isn't the problem. You are. So in Mark 7, 14, he calls them. He says, hear me, all of you, and understand there's nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. It comes out of you. And when he had entered the house and left the people, that his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within. They defile a person. So being true to myself is leaning further into the source of the problem. We sin, we're born into sin, we're corrupted in our heart, and the more you follow your heart, and the more you say, God, I've got this, I'll drive the car, I don't need you in the car, you go to further to the source of the problem. Right? The evil is within. And that's why it's called God's wrath, because he says, okay. Go that road. Follow your heart. This is where it's going to take you. And so then when he says we trade out God, we're given over. We're given over to the worst of ourselves. And so I want to spend a little bit of time on this. This is really important, and I want it to be done in a sensitivity and respect. But I think this is the missing piece in the LGBTQ conversation. This is the missing piece. And so I want to hear this because this isn't getting spoken out there. This voice isn't being heard. So please don't hear this as attack. Hear this as a plea. Would you consider? This is the missing piece. Right? The, our culture says the solution to my conflicting thoughts about my gender, my sexuality, the pain I've experienced can be found within or within a relationship 
or within a same-sex relationship or with changing my gender. And I, and I realize in all the stories, there's pain, there's trauma, there's hurt, there's been something happen. It's not people setting out to say, I want to mess with the cultural values. They're trying to respond to some hurt in their life. And so the answer that you're getting out there in the world is, well, look within and follow your heart and change to this, and that'll solve it. And the scriptures are saying, no, that's actually where the problem is. And so you're going further down the pain. So I have some uh, just comments from people who've gone down the rabbit hole and come back and say, it doesn't solve the problem. This isn't Ryan talking. Here's some, I want to read some of these to you. DailyCitizen.com, this was from a Detransition Awareness Day, testimonies from those who left transgenderism. So this is recent, March. It says, Laura B. writes at the website, Detrans Voices, talking about the turmoil of her early life, her deep emotional problems, right? So this is someone hurting and the lack of help from therapists and dealing with trauma and despair. Instead, she was moved along the medical conveyor belt of opposite sex hormones and surgery. Right here, this will fix your problem. She says, I'm a straight woman in my early 20s. I identified as trans for three years. I questioned whether I was trans for five years before I formerly transitioned. I was on testosterone for seven months, and I had a double mastectomy at age 20. I regret all aspects of transition and have had to do a lot of reflection about why it happened and how my evolution has gotten to where I am today. Testosterone did not make me feel any better. I had little happiness thinking of growing a beard, but it made me even moodier than I already was. I became more reckless, angry, and impulsive. I started drinking and smoking weed a lot, driving intoxicated, doing petty theft, and getting into fights. Laura, after accepting her female identity, says, Now I have accepted and admitted that transition was a horrible idea that I made when I was immature, irrational, and hopeless. And so something, and they're saying, look within, change within, do this other thing. And she's saying, I was in pain and I needed help. She says, I don't blame myself. And she goes on to talk about it. But do you hear the heart desperation? Helena wrote about her story in an article entitled, By Any Other Name. She explains how she was drawn into transgender ideology on social media. She writes, the short version of my detransition story for those who want the bare details is that when I was 15, I was introduced to gender ideology on Tumblr and, I, and began to call myself non-binary. Over the next few years, I would continue to go deeper and deeper down the trans identity rabbit hole. By the time I was 18, I saw myself as a trans man, otherwise known as FTM, female to male. Shortly after my 18th birthday, I made an appointment at Planned Parenthood to begin a testosterone regimen. At my first appointment, I was prescribed testosterone, and I would remain on this regimen for a year and a half. It had an extremely negative effect on my mental health, and I was finally admitted what a disaster it had been when I was 19, sometime around February or March 2018. When the disillusionment fully set in, I stopped the testosterone treatment and began the process of getting my life back on track. It has not been easy, and the whole experience seriously derailed my life in ways I could never have foreseen when I was that 15-year-old kid playing with pronouns on Tumblr. I'm looking for something. I'm looking deeper. I'm looking within. I'm looking to answers. All of these are without God in the car. 
This one was from YouTube. Um, and so this is an interview with this woman. Her name is Sophia. And she talks about a transition from female to male. And she's now come back. And she's actually come to Christ. It's amazing. But that wasn't why she came back. But I just I want you to hear some of the hearts. She was talking about when she was thinking about transitioning. And she was thinking, well, I don't even like kids. I don't even want to have kids anyway. Why would I want to do that when she's just 17? And so she was talking about how immature her mind was. She said, when I was 18, I'm not really thinking about children. I don't think most 17 or 18-year-olds are thinking about having children in the future or how these things could have possible repercussions with their health, the things meaning hormone treatments. For instance, because I have developed certain health issues, which I know will go away and heal over time. But if I would have known all of that, if I would have known the position that I would be in now, Having made that decision at 17, I never would have made it. And I wasn't presented with any other option. I think that's the most harmful thing, is I was led to believe that this was like going to be my saving grace and the only thing that was ever going to help me. So I just have to move forward with it and be applauded for it as I do it. Did you see that? This will save you. Switching will save you. Following that heart will save you. Following this thing will save you. And so we say the solution to my conflicting thoughts, my pain, my distress, my confusion, this will follow your heart and no one can tell you who you are or who to love and you're going to the place where the pain is further. You're going to the place that can't advise you. Your own heart can't do it. And so when we, when we trade out God, we say you're out. You're not in control. We're giving over the worst of ourselves. And we live in the tragic consequences, right? We crash the car. We crash the car. Your story might not be this, but we crash the car. And that's why we need the gospel. That's why we need the good news, right? This is what, what preceded Romans 1, 18 to 32, is Romans 16 and 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. That can break into ideologies. That can break into the lies of our culture. That can break into your heart. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith. For faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In Ezekiel 36, God promises to fix the problem. He says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from your idols I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He says, I know the source of the problem is your heart. It's rebellious. It's wicked, so he says, that's what I'm going to fix. I'm going to fix your heart. I'm going to give you a new heart. I'm going to put my spirit in you. What do we suppose God's response would be when we say, get out of the car, give me the keys, I don't want you. And then we say, wait, come back. I think the enemy wants you to think God would say, oh, now you want me? Oh, now you want me to drive the car after you crashed it and blew it up and made it? I'm not coming. He doesn't do that. He doesn't throw it in your face. He doesn't say, oh, now you want me? Never mind. Good luck with that. He says, yeah, I'll get in that car. And I'll fix it. I'll fix you. 
And I'll put my spirit in you. I'll direct your life so you can make different choices and go down my path of healing and hope. He doesn't throw in your face. He says, yeah, I'm right there. That's why it's the power of God for salvation. He says, therefore, if anyone in Christ, he's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. He makes you new. I want us to hear from Sophia one more time. She's the, he asked her, I forget his name, Beckett Cook, asked her, what would you say to the young girl who is thinking about this, thinking about transitioning, feeling those feelings? She said, I would want her to know how much God loves her. I would want her to know that there is a way out in Christ, and that even if she's a Christian and she maybe believes that God doesn't care about her, God doesn't see her, I would encourage her to develop a personal relationship with him and to place her identity in him instead of trying to place it in anything else. And if she's been through some sort of trauma or some sort of pain that's led her towards that, I would say this is not going to give you what you need. I've been there, I've done that, and ultimately this is not going to bring you the satisfaction. And she's found Christ. And so she's saying, hey, doesn't matter what you're feeling, where you're going, what direction you're being pushed, following your heart or not. God's ready to, to give you a new heart. He's ready to heal you. He's ready to take you down a different path. And we can get off the path of saying, you get out of the car, I'm doing this on my own. That's just going to wreck your life. But he's saying, look, I'll come in. I'll heal you. I'll change you. This is the whole reason I sent my son Jesus to heal you, to change you, to make you a new creature. So we all have that opportunity. And I want us to, to move into our culture realizing anyone on any of these issues we dealt with today, they're most likely responding to hurt and pain and trying to find the answers, and they don't know that looking deeper within is worse. So we want to go out there with grace and compassion with the truth. Hey, Jesus can heal that. Jesus can heal that. So let me pray. We're going to sing, and I want to just give an opportunity for response today. Lord Jesus, we realize that when we are given over to ourselves, we make an absolute mess, crash the car, fire, destruction of our life. And we recognize that you are in the God of restoration, that you heal us, you make us new, and we need you. Lord, I just pray for any here who are sensing this, that they have not wanted you in their life, but at this moment, they're realizing they want you. Whether they're in this room or watching online, whether it's today or you're watching this video months from now, would you give them a courage to turn to you, to ask for help, to invite you into their life? Give them that ability to call out in faith. Hey, I believe in you, Lord. I need you. Everywhere I have gone has led to pain and brokenness when I'm doing it myself. Or we need... We need you to help us. And so we ask you to do that, Lord. And we pray this in, in your name. Amen.